Fidelity being a clever mimic. Well, all I can say is you're crazy yelling like that for nothing. It isn't nothing. Isn't, huh? If that isn't nothing, what is it? They were growing incoherent. What do you mean screeching like a maniac, like a wild woman? The neighbors will think I've killed you. What do you mean anyway? I mean I'm tired of watching it, that's what. Sick and tired. You are, huh? Well, young lady, let me tell you something. He told her. There followed one of those incredible quarrels, as sickening as they are human, which can take place only between two people who love each other, who love each other so well that each knows with cruel certainty the sure way to wound the other, and who stab and tear and claw at these vulnerable spots in exact proportion to their love. Ugly words, bitter words, Words that neither knew they knew flew between them like sparks between steel striking steel. From him, trouble with you is you haven't enough to do. That's the trouble with half you women. Just lay around the house rotting. I'm a fool slaving on the road to keep a good for nothing. I suppose you call sitting around hotel lobby slaving. I suppose the house runs itself. How about my evenings, sitting here alone night after night when you're on the road? Finally, well, if you don't like it, he snarled and lifted his chair by the back and slammed it down savagely. If you don't like it, why don't you get out, hmm? Why don't you get out? And from her, her eyes narrowed to two slits, her cheeks scarlet. Why, thanks. I guess I will. Ten minutes later, he had flung out of the house to catch the 819 for Manitowoc. He marched down the street, his shoulders swinging rhythmically to the weight of the burden he carried his black leather handbag, and the shiny tan sample case, battle-scarred, both, from many encounters with ruthless porters and busmen and bellboys. For four years, as he left for his semi-monthly trip, he and Terry had observed a certain little ceremony, as had the neighbors. She would stand in the doorway, watching him down the street, the heavier sample case banging occasionally at his shin, the depot was only three blocks away. Terry watched him with fond but unillusioned eyes, which proves that she really loved him. He was a dapper, well-dressed fat man with a weakness for pronounced patterns and suitings and addicted to derbies. One week on the road, one week at home. That was his routine. The wholesale grocery trade liked Platt, and he had for his customers the fondness that a traveling salesman has who is successful in his territory. Before his marriage to Terry Sheehan, his little red address book had been overwhelming proof against the theory that nobody loves a fat man. Terry, standing in the doorway, always knew that when he reached the corner just where Schroeder's house threatened to hide him from view, he would stop, drop the sample case, wave his hand just once, pick up the sample case and go on, proceeding backward for a step or two until Schroeder's house made good its threat. It was a comic scene in the eyes of the onlooker, perhaps because the chubby Romeo offends the sense of fitness. The neighbors, lurking behind their parlor curtains, had laughed at first. But after a while they learned to look for that little scene and to take it unto themselves as if it were a personal thing. Fifteen-year wives whose husbands had long since abandoned flowery farewells used to get a vicarious thrill out of it, and to eye Terry with a sort of envy. 
This morning, Orville Platt did not even falter when he reached Schroeder's corner. He marched straight on, looking steadily ahead, the heavy bag swinging from either hand. Even if he had stopped, though she knew he wouldn't, Terry Platt would not have seen him. She remained seated at the disordered breakfast table, a dreadfully still figure and sinister, a figure of stone and fire, of ice and flame. Over and over in her mind she was milling the things she might have said to him and had not. She brewed a hundred vitriolic cruelties that she might have flung in his face. She would concoct one biting brutality and dismiss it for a second and abandon that for a third. She was too angry to cry, a dangerous state in a woman. She was what is known as cold mad, so that her mind was working clearly and with amazing swiftness, and yet as though it were a thing detached a thing that was no part of her.